The famous saying, knowledge is power, is well known. In order for knowledge to be powerful, it must be truly accept, accepted and applied. And today we live in an age, especially in America, where we have great confidence in self and earthly solutions. We, even among churches, are quick to think of our problems in purely physical terms. Well, what if I told you that there is often more to people's problems than that? What if I told you that there is a present evil lurking that is unseen and yet manifests itself in leading people down a path of self-destruction? That might be new knowledge, but what about knowledge that could be helpful in dealing with darkness in its different manifestations? Who can help people come out of the grips of addiction, debilitating anxiety, overwhelming depression, and other sufferings? Who has the power to truly change people, pulling them out of a lifestyle of isolation and, and secrets and, darkness and dark places? Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, we're going to be starting there in verse 21 this morning. It's on page 970 and 71 in the Bible that's provided for you there in the pew. And if you don't own a copy of God's Word, just see me after the service. I'll make sure you go home with a copy of God's Word today. It will help you to have your Bibles open as we look at the text together this morning. Let me give a little background and context. According to Mark, who was a close friend of the Apostle Peter, who seems that he got his information in putting this together from the Apostle Peter. According to Mark, Jesus is the one and only Savior from God's wrath. He is the human manifestation of the God of the Old Testament, leading a new and better exodus, creating a new community of followers unto eternal life through trusting in him alone. Jesus proclaimed, in accord with the Old Testament, the reign of God, the kingdom of God, and he died an atoning death for God's people, just as Isaiah prophesied. His death can effectively atone for any sin, calling not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. To know this is to follow him as Lord now. And the Old Testament revealed that when God acted in strength to redeem his people, he would be their teacher. And God's new people in him would be in awe of this Holy One, and sinners would gain understanding. And Mark unveils that reality, this new reality of the Spirit-empowered work of Messiah. The kingdom of God is bursting forth to change lives. And Mark wants to tell us all about it, so that we would repent and believe ourselves in Christ. Today's text, Mark reveals that Satan's realm is being beaten back at the advance of God's kingdom. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. This is picking up now with the disciples are following Christ. Verse 4. Verse 21. They went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. 
Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. This is God's word. Amen. Now I want to to make sure we end right there on verse 27. I forgot to read it. Look at verse 27. This is critical to the passage. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. God is present in Jesus. That's why he teaches with authority and commands the dark spiritual forces. God is present. The power inherent in Jesus' teaching is precisely the power that enables him to overcome demonic forces. And here's why we need this passage this morning. There is a spiritual war going on that is unseen. Evil is real. Man-made religion can't do anything about evil because it too is evil and against God. True religion, hope, and salvation is found in Christ alone. Christian, let this passage push you, put you in fresh awe of the power and authority of Jesus Christ. Stop looking to self and physical needs in self-reliance. We are none mighty, but Jesus is. Let's appropriate his word to our lives and watch what he does. Let's hold fast to Jesus and his word as we live in this fallen world. Here's the central point. It's there for you in your bulletin. Christ has all authority. Therefore, let us yield to him alone. Christ has all authority. Therefore, let us yield to him alone. Point number one. Point number one, be amazed by the way he taught. Be amazed by the way he taught. We're going to look at verses 21 and 22 through here. At the core of Jesus' earthly ministry was teaching. Rather than performing miracles. I want you to get that early. The synagogue was not the temple in Jerusalem. It was the place of reading the scriptures, of teaching, praying, and worshiping. Visiting rabbis would teach, which explains why Jesus was here. And here on the Sabbath, Jesus taught the word with authority, and the people were astonished at his authority. What does this mean? First subpoint: His teaching was sourced in himself. His teaching was sourced in himself. There was a finality and independence to his teaching because he claimed to be the truth itself, the source and location of all truth. You see, in Jesus, God's kingdom, remember as we've looked at this chapter one already, God's kingdom has come to earth. God, because God has come to earth as man, Jesus speaks for heaven on earth. 
I mean, that makes sense. Want to know what God thinks? Ask Jesus. So if we avoid Jesus, we avoid the truth. Do you avoid Jesus? Do you allow him to speak over your life in every way? He has all authority. He taught about the reign of God, the kingdom of God, emphasizing the need to be born again as the way into the kingdom and for holy living as proof of citizenship in that kingdom. He interpreted the scriptures with finality. He had no need for external support. Jesus is God. He simply said often, I say to you, you've heard it said, I say to you. His word is self-authenticating because he is the kingdom in person. He speaks on earth with the authority of heaven. And he declares who will and who won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. And a lot of folks don't like him. Who does he think he is? He's the son of God. He's God in flesh. And he declared who will and who won't inherit the kingdom. Notice the second subpoint here I have here for you in your outline. His teaching exposed the lack of truth in others. His teaching exposed the lack of truth in others. Verse 23 shows you the contrast. He taught as one who had authority not like the scribes, the teachers of the law. Some of your translations say scribes there. They were recognized experts in the law of Moses and in traditional laws and regulations, extra writings. And they got, they got, wherever they went, they got the VIP treatment. People rose to their feet when these guys entered a room. Their teaching on Jewish traditions was once used to enrich truth, but then their tradition came to be on the same level as the truth. Finally, their tradition replaced the truth as the rule for faith and practice. It's similar to what the Reformers discovered with the Vatican. Jesus' teaching threatens darkness, and it threatened the scribes' power over people. Friends, don't, don't miss the drama of the text here. There's a clash of kingdoms right here in these few verses. There's a clash of kingdoms. Our Lord's message was the gospel of the kingdom of God. His kingdom has to do with his reign in the lives of his people. It's a spiritual realm and not an earthly political organization. And his teaching, his teaching exposed that people are sinners and it exposed the scribes as frauds. You know, sin is our rebellion against God. Rejecting his authority and rule. Our sins prove we have none lived up to God's perfect righteous standards. God, being perfectly good, would be just to deal with us all for the ways we have worshipped the gods of money, entertainment, and pleasure. He would be just to deal with us for hurting others in dishonesty. He would be just for dealing with us for the ways we use our lives to glorify ourselves. He would be just to deal with us for the ways we boast about our righteousness, how all the religious and righteous deeds that we do, or how many books that we've read, or how, what we did at church. He would be just to deal with us in the ways we, we stand in pride and arrogance. And the Bible tells us, though, friends, that no one is righteous in the eyes of God in their own merits. No one is perfect and holy. None of us. That's why we need Jesus. 
We needed God to come to us in full humanity, never sin, then go die in our place at the cross for our sins as God and man and be raised for our justification. And only a perfect one could die for us and only God could endure the just wrath of God. That's why we need Jesus. Friends, the only way to enter God's family is by stop believing in self and other things and trust only in Jesus alone as king and substitute who can save you from God's just response to our rebellion. Jesus said we must be born again by the grace of the Holy Spirit. We need to be made responsive to God because we feel no godly conviction. We suppress the truth about sin, and we are not naturally convinced that Jesus is God come to save us. That's not, that's not our natural disposition. So what preaching and teaching Jesus brought in this place? Can you imagine preaching the truth and teaching the truth? As long as Jesus spoke, people were fixed on him. He was captivating, as you can see here. They were amazed. Amazement swept over the hearers. Made me think about something. When I waited tables back in school, I, re- I remember switching from casual dining to fine dining. I learned so much about how food is properly prepared <laughs> when I made that switch and how certain items should actually taste and shouldn't be microwaved. The same is true in what you listen to as far as teaching goes. I hear folks talk about teaching Sometimes, and I think, wow, you haven't had any good food yet. And that's the feel here. The scribes were feeding the people only processed, canned, and mass-produced, microwave-like meals, nothing fresh from the Word. And Jesus rolls up, and all of a sudden they ask, what's that aroma over there? It was the aroma of the Lord. Instead of being very scholarly and obnoxiously detailed and foolish and condescending and unpleasant, Jesus revealed the truth about God, about sin, salvation, and repentance. The scribes focused on impossible literalism, legal pettiness, and a maze-like system that allowed only for them to navigate it. See how they kept people at bay and kept themselves in a higher position? Sound familiar? They went on and on about priests and occupied with things of little significance. You can hear them saying, let me tell you about Levitical clothing. The washing of cups and the quarter of a second when the new moons and Sabbaths began. I mean, isn't that a blessing? I'm speaking sarcastically. They go on and on about tradition. They give long illustrations. I'm sure they were great storytellers. Always a great storyteller. And come out somehow looking brilliant. Their teaching was devoid, though, of the weight of God, the word of God, and any moral significance. This is today, this is the dude that goes on and on about backgrounds and word studies and charts and says little of the holiness of God, little about sin, about hell, about the gospel and righteousness. Beloved, preaching should come with the word of God aimed at the heart. It should be dripping with sobriety, with joy, conviction, and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. It should be bold against sin and passionate about heaven. Faithful preaching and teaching should resemble our Lord's teaching. It should expose the glory, the weight of God, the sinfulness of man, 
the work of Christ in his life and death on the cross and call people to respond to him. I mean, doesn't the world today need to see in the church evidence of Christ in our midst? Messages on moralism, ritualism, rationalism, nationalism, you put the ism on it, will not save. We have to preach Christ. We lift him up as the only way, not self-help, not the worn-out cliches, not charismatic extremism and phony unity. We preach Christ crucified. Doctrine must be connected with the Holy Spirit's power in our lives too, friends. It's not that we just like all this teaching. It should be teaching that's transforming us to be more like Christ. It's your study of the word leading you to obey him. The situation here is desperate. The people are starving for the word of God. And in context, both the demons and the religious authorities are threatened by Christ. And the same is true today. You know, no wonder churches today, too, are filling up with dead folks and demon-possessed people there can be comfortable in their midst with no hope. There's no Christ preached. There's no word proclaimed. We all need to be under the preaching of the word, and preaching should always include Christ. Let's go to the second point. Christ has all authority. Therefore, yet us, let us yield to him alone. Point two, be amazed by the power he commands. Be amazed by the power he commands. Now note here, in verses 23 through 27, Jesus encounters evil in the synagogue at the beginning of his ministry. Mark doesn't want you to miss that. He wants you to know where, where, where demonic activity is very present. The devil likes his strongholds in religious settings, and he was there waiting to disrupt the service. And Jesus, is first, Jesus first publicly defeated the powers of evil in a place of worship. You know, demonic activity can be outwardly seen, sometimes in bizarre actions, especially in the face of Christian preaching. It is destructive. It shows itself in the lives of the isolated and the person influenced by a demon can have a destructive influence on others. It appears the demon previously, <laughs> this is what's interesting, it, it appears the demon previously had little to be dis disturbed by from the usual synagogue service. But now a new preacher is present. Self-help worship is, is disrupted. <laughs> And, and, and self-aggrandizement is, is disruptive, disrupted. And the impure spirit, look at the text, re, reacts. Mark says, just then. Jesus is teaching, just then. Because it's on Jesus whom the Holy Spirit rests. I mean, can you imagine the fear and the shock that rang through the congregation when the voice of the demoniac here rang out? Jesus said something that upset the depths of de depravity of this tormented soul. First sub-point here. Evil forces know he has the power to destroy them. Evil forces know he has the power to destroy them. The demons revealed the age-old battle was coming to a head in the ministry of Jesus. Verse 24, have you come to destroy us? As far as back as Genesis 3.15 
Scripture foretold of the clash between Messiah and the serpent. The demon here was terrified by the person of the Lord Jesus and the awesome holiness that clothed him. You see, Jesus had invaded the territory of the Spirit. The battle is on, and the complete victory lies yet in the future. The ultimate defeat of the devil would wait until the final victory over sin and death for God's people in Jesus' own death and resurrection, which assures his reappearing at the end of the age and the destruction of all the evil ones will be cast into the lake of fire. Now note, these demons recognize Jesus while those on earth fail to comprehend who he is. Don't miss that. The demon acknowledges that Jesus is God's holy one. Look at the text. And his son, he knew exactly who Jesus was, this man from Nazareth. He was the holy one of God And the holiness of Jesus, that separate purity, that separateness and glory must have tormented the demon's consciousness. Such power and authority reminded the demon of his doom. That's what holiness does, friends. That's why people avoid God. That's why people hate to be drugged into a church or hear the preaching of the gospel. Because the cross is a confrontation with the holiness of God. God's holiness is avoided by people at all cost. Even so-called churches do not want to think about it because the reality of God's holiness is terrifying to sinful hearts because deep down we know He is our judge. And we know that we are guilty and unclean when we think on the holiness of God. All those who reject Christ will not encounter the joy of holiness but the horror of holiness ever exposing their guilt and God's just response against evil. Jesus is either your judge with the demons or your savior with all God's people. The unclean spirit, the defiled one, the demon, see Jesus, they see Jesus as a unique and even, look at the text, they, they see him as unique and even su- a supernatural <clears throat> figure who is recognizably part of their world and capable of doing battle with them. They knew the Holy Spirit was upon him and that they are in trouble when they encounter Christ in Mark's gospel and other other, uh, gospel accounts. Jesus is holy in all of his life and work, lifted above sin and death, possessing power over both to destroy them and thus a terror to the demon world. The, quote, us here in the text, you see that, shows that the demon speaks for his fellow demons too. The whole demonic realm quakes in fear at the recognition that Jesus has come to conquer their realm and rescue those enslaved by Satan. The question here, have you come to destroy us, could just as well be rendered as a statement. You have come to destroy us. Maybe your translation translated it that way. This draws attention to the prophecy of Zechariah 13, 2, where God promised to wage war against impure spirits. I will banish the prophets and the unclean spirit from the land. Friends, isn't this what we're studying, church, in 1 John chapter 3? 
1 John 3, 8, the Son of God appeared to destroy the devil's work. Do you know how holy Jesus is? Do you understand that there is evil amongst us and within us that is under the dominion of the enemy? Those of who those who don't know Christ, those who are not born again. There is great evil in the world. Spiritual darkness. There's such evil committed in our on our on our on our planet and in our world. There's no way to explain it except horrendous, terrible spiritual darkness, demonic activity. Where's all this violence and immorality flow from in such grotesque ways? You know the answer. There's great darkness and evil. And there's only one who can take them down. There's only one who has authority and power to set a person free. The enemy wants us in the grip of porn. He wants us in the grip of alcohol dependence or substance dependence. He wants us in bitterness. He wants us in malice. He wants us to stay greedy and self-righteous and self-pitying. He wants you focused not on eternity. He wants you focused only on what's in front of you. He wants you to live perpetually as a child, focused on the temporal. And you, friend, and I are no threat to the devil, but Jesus is. Can you hear Mark's announcement to you this morning? Who has the power? Jesus does. He can set you free, cleanse you, and help you. Notice the next sub-point here. Just a word from Jesus is all it takes. Just a word from Jesus is all it takes. With one stern phrase, Jesus deals with a demon. Be quiet. Come out of him. The term sternly, some of your translation says rebuke, maybe, is a weighted word here. Biblically, it's the commanding word of God over forces no man, no woman can command. Remember, just a word of rebuke and Jesus will tell the wind and sea to be still. You see, only God has the authority to directly rebuke demons. What once could invade human personalities can do so no longer at the power of Jesus' word. Look here, look at the text. No incantations, no magical objects. He just accomplishes it through his own word. Martin Luther was right. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. Jesus said, come out, purging the evil presence, because the demonic presence is defiling, and he restores a right relationship with God. You know, those who suffer from unclean spirits or from demons in, in Mark are victims who are entirely helpless, too helpless to ask for aid. The gospel has to go to them. Friends, we have to take the gospel to all, yes, even those who are under the great grip and influence of demonic power. Get the picture that Mark is painting here. The divine authority of Jesus has created an entirely new situation. He has the power to overthrow Satan's tyranny and set free the captives. 
It's the beginning of the end for the power of Satan. You see, with Jesus, you you need not fear the abusing spirits if God is acting on your behalf. If you have Christ, you need not fear. Satan here is painfully restrained until his defeat at the return of the glorified Jesus. Notice there in the text, the convulsing and the shrieking, those are indicators of terror. Jesus' authority here, over them, the shrieking is a death wail for the demons. And Jesus' authority over impure spirits reinforces the authority of his teaching. You know, in the New Testament, the victory of God over all spiritual forces is achieved through the inbreaking power of the kingdom and the atoning work of Christ on the cross for God's people. Jesus is the stronger one who through his work and word binds Satan and plunders his house as we shall see in Mark chapter 3. Jesus is the one more powerful that John the Baptist said was coming. You're looking at him. He's actualizing the kingdom of God in individuals with his power. And he can do this for any who would believe on him today. Are you sick of being controlled by your impulses to do what is wrong? Are you feeling the weight of condemnation that looms near you with death? Are you tired of thinking things would be better if you were dead? Friends, don't think like that. There's hope. There's Christ. Look to Jesus. He can set you free. Put your trust in him. We were designed, created to be indwelt by God's Holy Spirit so we would properly reflect God with our lives. But we all naturally walk according to the dictates of the rebellious call of the evil one, the spirit now working in the disobedient. And only Jesus can restore us. You will not find help in anybody else. There's salvation in no other name. Only in Christ. We must go to him and trust. You see, when Jesus is ruling over someone, the power of evil is stripped away. They are freed from everything that dehumanizes them. Friends, can't you see the wonderful news that Mark's giving us? He depicts Jesus' mission as a war between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan with an outcome that is certain. Satan's authority is no match for the awesome power and presence of the kingdom of God. La Plata Baptist Church, while we do not have the same physical access to Jesus, we still have access to that power in Jesus' teaching. We have the word of God. It did not disappear when he died. His teaching continues to produce mighty acts. By his word and the power of the Spirit, sinners are born again and believers are helped in their walk. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. What are we to do? We are to stand our ground in spiritual battle with spiritual weapons, holding fast to the word of God in prayer. We are to, as one author put it, be trembling like rookie soldiers, thinking of leaving the field, shaking in our boots, but the command of our king is greater than the fear we feel about what's coming our way. 
And we hold the ground that the king has already won. We're to follow Ephesians 6, 13 and following. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with the truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like an armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with the readiness of the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. There's our answers, friend. We war against the devil's lies with the truth of the gospel, fighting the fight of faith to believe that the cross brings us peace. Our salvation is secure, and the Lord is our righteousness. We are called only to stand as faithful witnesses in our locations, maintaining what Christ has already won. And we are to actively pray and wield the word of God by proclaiming it to ourselves and to all we encounter. So, beloved, this is a familiar application, but I'll say it again. You must saturate yourself with God's word. Put it in your heart early in the morning. Revisit it throughout the day and at night. Put it up in your house. Read it in the morning. Read it with your family for the purpose of standing firm in Christ. Gather with the saints in worship where the word is preached. Beloved, isn't this exciting? We stand in Jesus, not in some failed leader, not in some weak human being, but in the Son of God, and He can't be defeated. What a Savior. Last subpoint: His power and teaching show He is to be believed. His power and teaching show that he is to be, be believed. The entire passage raises a more fundamental question for all readers. What is this? To some degree, I, I always pray that, uh, that those who don't know Christ would come into our service and hear the word and have that same question so we can tell them. And the crowd questions and debates the matter. That's what's happening. The text confronts us with a decision of faith. Friends, this passage is not about satisfying religious curiosity about the great unknowns in regards to the existence of evil in this world. Mark, I want you to know something. Mark has just shown how the disciples have dropped it all to follow Jesus. And now in the text he's showing, he's inviting us to participate with the first disciples in the gradual and growing recognition of who Jesus is until we reach the conclusion which the, the, the demoniac already points, that he is the Holy One, that Christ is the Holy One. You see, the exorcism did not force a faith response to the character of Christ. Mark will reveal that this comes by God's gracious revelation. Here, Jesus does not want to be announced by demons, who would inevitably distort his message, he silences them. Jesus will define his messiahship and mission on his own terms rather than through the demoniac, demonic recognition or the popular expectations of the people. You see, revelation of truth will not come by um, 
hearing the word of a demon, but according to how Jesus will reveal it. The Spirit of God reveals the truth to the disciples, Gentiles, and others in Mark's gospel, who Jesus is just as God reveals it today. Pastor Garrett can say it ten different ways, but unless the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, you won't know it. This Holy Spirit reveals these truths. So my question is this, can you hear God's word? Do you have ears that can hear? Are you prepared to recognize that Jesus of Nazareth must be who the troubled man said he was, the Holy One of God? And if you do believe it, does your life show it? You know, maybe you're here this morning and you're a doubter. You're a skeptic. Well, just ask yourself, back up from the story at large here. Last, ask the larger perspective story question here. Why was it that Jesus was able to get Jewish people around him to believe he was God? How could he have overcome the unthinkability of that? Why did he succeed as the only person who ever claimed deity and also founded a major, indeed the largest movement in religious faith? His life must have been superbly beautiful. Isn't it extremely difficult to claim to be perfect and divine and then get the people who actually live with you to believe it? That's what happened. Jesus did it. Mark offers saving knowledge to those who need help in healing from God. Do you want help? You're, you're hearing about help this morning. Come to Christ. To those who may be confused, maybe, about what it means to be a Christian, let me say this. Look at the crowds again. Look carefully at the crowds. A person's amazement with Jesus doesn't mean they really necessarily trusted in Christ. Someone's not a Christian just because they say nice things about Jesus or like certain things about Jesus. They must believe they need a Savior and that Jesus is that Savior. You must believe that you need a Lord and that Jesus is that Lord. If you really trust in him, you will follow him. And if you are following him in truth, you will trust in him. Is your knowledge having a sanctifying influence on your affection and your life? Do you not only know Christ, but love him as most precious? Do you not only know him by hearing with your ears, but by coming to him every day for mercy and grace? I should conclude. You know, demons have what theologians call a historical faith. Meaning they have facts. But demons hate the truth. And they do everything they can to undermine it. I wonder if any today listening to me, if that might be you. That you have mere historic faith. You hold to certain facts, but you really don't love the truth. A contemporary of Charles Spurgeon, J.C. Ryle, said this, Demons all believe and know that Jesus is the Christ, that he will one day judge the world and throw them down to endless torment in hell. It is a sorrowful thought that on these points some professing Christians have even less faith than the devil. Some doubt the reality of hell and the eternity of punishment. 
Such doubts as these find no place except in the hearts of self-willed men and women. There is no unbelief among demons. You see, you can fear Jesus' power, yet reject him and hate him for it. Do you despise his power and authority as God? Friend, turn from that. See what sin is doing to you and repent. God loves you. He's willing to forgive you. Come to Christ. You know, some folks want the benefits of religion, the benefits of church, but they don't want anything to do with living submitted to Christ. Not really. They want to live in unfaithfulness and unchecked. They want to be kept on, the, on a church roll, perhaps, but prioritize the world and schedule God in their lives as they see it, as they see fit. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Repent and come to Christ. He has all authority. Not me, not you. Jesus has all authority. So come to him and live. Repent and trust in Jesus today. Who can help people out of the grips of addiction, debilitating anxiety, overwhelming depression, other sufferings? Who can deliver them from sin? Who has the power to change people and pulling them out of a lifestyle of isolation and secret darkness? There's only one, and his name is Jesus, the Holy One of God. Let's pray. How powerful is your word, Lord Jesus. We pray you would write truths of your word deep into our hearts. Help us not to shrink back, Lord, as your people, but to march forward in confidence of your authority, your power and glory. Lord, our lives are so short. Our day is approaching. Help us to live our days for you. And we plead for any, Lord, who are entrapped and ensnared in their sins, Lord, that you would free them by the power of the Spirit today, that they would indeed put their trust in Christ. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.